you were in prison, you were standing by a fence, a man came to you and was trying to share with you faith, but your pride got in the way and you said, not for me. And, um, and so we're so excited and uh, all of the listeners are so excited to hear your story continue on and I'm excited as well. So thanks a lot for being on The Stronger Podcast. The Stronger Podcast is all about living with resilience, stronger mental health and a meaningful life. Every guest and topic discussed is aimed to encourage us around these themes. This is a highlight episode, so it's in a slightly different format. I'm calling this an Australian story of perseverance. Today's guest is a mate who's been in my life for over 20 years. And today I want to introduce you to Martin Smoothie. This is an incredible life story. What I do know about Martin is that he's not a quitter. With some of the worst lows any of us could imagine, he kept on believing there was more to his life. And he's recently founded Australia's number one learn to swim program for adults. This interview is about perseverance never quit no matter the setbacks and the hand that you've been dealt you're going to enjoy today's interview and i hope that you'll share this podcast on your socials rate subscribe help me get the word out thank you for listening from all over the world it's an honor to speak to you let's jump into today's special episode at the kitchen table mate what happened next you're still in prison hey thank you so much for uh, having us back yeah, so um, I ended up serving out my, uh, my my sentence. You know, you you do the crime and you do the time. And yeah. I um, remember vividly going out the uh, front door. It wasn't all all that I expected. I, I think I had all of about thirty seven dollars in my in my pocket coming out of there, um, and I didn't know exactly where I was going. However, I can say that I went from one prison to another. I left that prison and went straight back into the prison of alcohol. You see, prior to me going into the prison, I had um, developed, actually, um, after being told that I um, wasn't going to be able to do anything uh, with my life and sporting and uh, in career, uh, one of the things that I did latch on to in my part-time job was alcohol. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you remember certain things in life, Jay, and one of the things I do remember that I was I was 18 years old and I remember having having a very tall large, I don't know if you remember the, the large bottles of beer. And I remember <laughs> having one there and I'm thinking most people drink stubbies. I, I, I'm drinking these tall bottles of beer and I'm halfway through it and, and it just hit me very clearly. I, I am an alcoholic and I knew it. I, I just consciously knew it. But there was two things. Not only did I know it, I accepted it at that particular time. I accepted that this was part of fate. This was part of where I was. So I accepted to go on. So I stayed came out of prison and I went straight back into that habit and uh, um, I stuck around uh, Noosa Hedge for a little while but I was feeling a little bit down and out at the time because at this stage I had lost all bar one of my properties. So everything that I'd worked on. Yeah, sure. And, and do you think you were, were you drinking to escape? Were you drinking to, yeah. what, what was the, what would have uh, well, been the reason? I, I was, yeah, I, look, I was, I, I was drinking as, as a form of escape. Um, Obviously, with everything that happened in my childhood uh, and then being involved in sport, I just felt that really life had given up on me a bit. And it was a way way of going into a different world and not having the concerns of the future. And I think a lot of people go into substance uh, because they don't want to 
feel or, 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 be, or be concerned about what's going to happen in the future because you just don't know. And, yeah. you know, um, I, I've been battered by that stage and I just thought at this, at this point in my life I just need to make a decision that it was going to be okay to drink. So I made that decision. Wow. You know, there's a lot of great resources. There's a website called alcoholthinkagain.com.au and it has a lot of resources for people who are struggling with alcohol use disorder, which is now the new term that's used instead of the word alcoholic. But it's interesting. I saw this one statistic, which is 3.3 million people last year died from overuse of alcohol. (laughs) 3.3 million people last year. And it's somewhat ironic because you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and COVID and, you know, there's so much alarm, obviously, with the deaths that are taking place because of COVID. But it's like alcohol is just an acceptable part of our society and our culture. You know, one of the things I've found when I, I look back, um, alcohol does kill, but it, it kills silently. It, it, it kills your finances. It kills your relationships. It kills your friends. It, it kills your opportunities. It kills your hope. So, you know, there's two sides of it. You, you don't need too, hope, too much hope at the end of a, uh, at the end, at the end of a four-hour drinking session because <laughs> it's not worrying you too much. But you wake up in the morning and you really miss that hope. You, you really realise that, you know, what you've, been, what you've been doing isn't the best thing. But the funny thing was that no matter what I tried to do, I just couldn't throw it. Mm. So instead of trying to move it, I decided that I would accept it. So I stayed around Noosa for a little while and, yes, basically uh, my mistakes had washed away four properties. Um, it, was, it was a bit of a cultural shock and I, I can imagine someone thinking, wow, what's it like to lose four properties? Well, you know what? Um, you go surfing and have another beer. And that was, <laughs> that, was, that was sort of the answer for me going forward. You know, it's something I didn't want to want to think about. So when I, when I started to, to look at life and, you know, I had a relationship at the time, was going nowhere, it was quite toxic. I decided to do what every single person um, would do in my position. I decided to take a road trip to the <laughs> other side of the country. Nothing like a road trip to leave your problems behind. <laughs> leave everything, everything that you've done, all the mistakes. You know what? Because if you hop in a car and you go to the other side of the country, everything's going to change, isn't that right? Man? So that's what I thought. So myself, three friends, two dogs and eight surfboards made our way across uh, the Nullarbor and ended up in Perth where I just went straight back into an old friendship. Um, A friend of mine was involved in the surfboard industry and I um, just went straight back to drinking. I got a job straight away uh, in a a restaurant and then I went and started running um, the back end of the Dunsborough Bakery. uh, It was a large, very large bakery in the southwest of Western Australia and those things from Perth well aware of it. Definitely so one of my favourite spots too. Yeah. So during one of my nights out, which were many, um, I met a, a, a young lady and very quickly we decided to get married. You know, what I can say about making major decisions in life, uh, rushing into anything is not the best thing and rushing into, into a marriage is probably the worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> it's just going to compound the problem. So we stayed there for a little while and then I decided to up roots from there and I went down to Denmark. Denmark's another place in the southwest right on the beach and we managed to 
uh, buy a bakery. Now, that was a, a bit of a story in itself just to raise the money and just to go back to bank after bank after bank after bank. But I really wanted this business and I knew that I could operate it. And we turned it around massively and everyone's going, well, that's just a great thing. And it really was. The problem with a lot of wealth, right, it just enhances your, prob- enhances your problems. If you haven't dealt with your problem, a lot of money's not going to help it. Right. And this actually brought a lot more damage into my life. So instead of having long bottles of beer, now I can have a lot more spirits. I can, ex- wow. I can drink the top shelf, not the bottom shelf. Yeah, there was wow. no more wine for me, straight into the spirits. So to put, it, put you in the picture there, Jay, um, I ran the bakery. I did have a baker and I had an apprentice. Uh, I was actually sort of managing and watching over everything and putting my hand in where I, where I could. But I would start drinking at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I, I had alcohol at work. Um, I, I had shifted my wife down there and um, she was very quickly picking up that, that my trait wasn't going away. So I ended up just making more and more and more money and it just didn't help us at all. It mm-hmm. didn't help my marriage. It didn't help anything. The problem was with me. So um, I can remember the day that um, she told me she was going up to... Uh, family and she was going to spend some time time out and just to have a holiday. She's going to come back. Everything was fine. She took her bags and that was the last time I ever saw her. Wow. So she she left and she didn't come back. I cannot blame her for one, but uh, for, for any of this, it was my decision to continue drinking. She probably looked at me and saw no hope. She mm. saw capacity. She would tell me, "You're so capable," but. You've got this problem and you just don't want to deal with it. And the fact was, Jay, I didn't want to deal with it. It was yeah. my friend. I wanted to, but I'd given up on, on, on making any real hard decisions. So I decided that, you know, now is a really big time to, to um, make a decision. You know, um, man's extremities, um, God's opportunity. And I found myself being confronted by uh, a man who my mum had sent across to me uh, from the local area. And he sat down, discussed my problem, and then told me that I couldn't deal with the problem myself. He said, um, he said you'll never deal with this yourself. He said, but if you invite Jesus Christ in your life as Lord and Saviour, he said, um, your whole life will turn around. So I did the natural thing. Once again, I left that house as quick as I possibly could. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I actually left there and I thought, no, I've got, I've got to go and try to restore this marriage. And I went, I went up to Perth and I rented another place up in Perth. And um, I was just trying to figure out a way to, to restore the situation uh, with my wife. The problem was that I just couldn't restore myself. Mm. And um, there was no way that was going to turn around. There's no malice there. The decision was made and that, that was it. So I was, I was still in, um, in Perth and my mum said to me um, to test God and see and through a whole series of events, uh, which I won't go into, I found myself in front of 130 people I'd never seen before uh, in a church in the Salvation Army. And um, that night I, I gave my uh, heart to Jesus and there was, no, um, there was no fireworks or anything, but what I did find is I woke up and I didn't want to drink. Really? So at that stage, yeah, I did. I, I, I didn't. I didn't desire a drink at all. And to that day, um, to this day, I've never had a drink since. Wow. 
So you went from something happened starting at that time. A, yeah, you're starting at 4 a.m. in the morning and mm. drinking the hard stuff right at the beginning of the day and you just went straight cold turkey and haven't had a drink yeah. since. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, just, uh, I just cried out to God to forgive me and um, something happened on that day and uh, my whole life just, just uh, stopped in that area. It was, it was just an amazing, amazing situation. Wow. So life, um, I, I ended up selling the bakery and um, the only problem was uh, I dealt with a couple of people um, that weren't real scrupulous and they, they were a little, bit, um, a little bit dodgy to say the least, Jay. So I sold the business but I never got paid. So what I was considering I was going to take away mm. and go and start a new life, I had no money. So they ended up with a business. I ended up with no money. I couldn't have, didn't have any money to fight them. So I decided to leave that area and I went up to Perth. And at this stage, it was really tough. Life was really, really tough for me. Um, it got to probably the lowest point in my life um, was when I first arrived there. And I remember, um, you know, I know, I remember what it was like to be hungry i hopped off a train i was walking home and i had no food for a couple of days and i ended up picking up an apple on the side of the road that had a bite out of it someone thrown it out of the car and uh, there were ants on it and i brushed the ants off and i ate the apple wow and at that stage it was something inside of me and said life's got to be better than this something's got to change I mean, at that point, you're at a crossroad where you could basically become homeless. Yeah, look, I was very, I was borderline on it. I, uh, I was living in a place and they knew that I had very little money and I was dodging the bullet. I was, I, I was sort of catching up in, in everything that I could do. I was cooking at home as much as I possibly could with any money that, that I had to try to soften the blow a little bit. But um, it, it, it was a very, very tough time in life and I... I think that I, at that particular stage, because I'd stopped drinking, I could focus a little bit better mm. and I still had these words that I, I, my life could be better. So um, I, I ended up taking a job selling pest control door to door, which was uh, a bit of a soul searching journey, I'll say that. But, you know, I learned not to despise small beginnings because from that I met someone and they had uh, started being involved in a new business, a new technology called Termimesh. I ended up selling for them. I ended up their marketing manager across Australia and then I ended up their general manager. So mm. I worked my way through very quickly um, using the skills that I had um, and some street, um, some street cred, I suppose. So, uh, so tell me this, Martin. You, you're, you're jumping off a bus and I'm seeing this and you're hungry, you haven't eaten for days and you're basically eating food from the side of the road. And then yeah. in a switch like that, you've then worked yourself, you know, into becoming the general manager of an Australian company. I mean, um, there are a lot of people that are listening which are at really low points. What was it that drove you and got you from there back to here again? You know, if I was to be really honest, I made a decision that I'd prefer to die trying than not try. I just made a decision that I'm going to put everything in this because I believe that there was an opportunity for me. I believe that there was more for me. Um, 
you know, that voice that my mum kept saying that, you know, there's so much there for you. I, I saw it. And what I did find is that I looked around and I could see it happening for other people. And I thought they must just do something different. Mm-hmm. So I, I followed and traced a few people and I read a few books of people that were successful and I picked up little bits and pieces from those books. And then I, I, I just decided to press in more and more and more. And what I did do was I worked on what I was good at. So what I was good at was being able to present a a transaction to someone and engineer a deal that was suitable for both parties. And that was a skill that I took and enabled me to go from door to door to, as you said, a general manager of a national. We had 47 uh, businesses around Australia, 47 um, stations around Australia when we left. So things were going well. Yeah, Things were going well. So... You know, at the end of this period, I, I met the love of my life and um, we uh, we connected in, in a very, very positive way. And uh, not long after that, we were married and we started, at, we started to have children. And look, this was just one of the best times of my life. I could see the fruits of my labour. Um, I started to, uh, I, I started to take a few more risks and I started to apply everything that I had and work was going well. I ended up buying a property uh, which was connected with uh, a developer. All of the deal came together right. I built a house from scratch, um, took, it, uh, took it right up to roof height without any borrowing any money. That's and uh, things were going very, very well for me at this particular stage. So life was going on and we ended up, we have five children. So life is going well, uh, and all of a sudden I have my son, who is four and a half years old at the time, telling us that he's got a sore leg. So we go to a doctor, and the doctor said, no, well, uh, it's just growing pains. And my wife, a little bit more astute than me, said, I don't think it's growing pains. We're going to go to another doctor. So that afternoon we went to a, an older doctor, and uh, he uh, had a look. He asked us to go and get an x-ray immediately. The doctor, uh, the x-ray guy uh, took x-rays and he took an extra one a little bit higher. Mm. And we went straight back to the doctor. The doctor stayed with me. He had a quick look at it and then he immediately phoned the children's hospital, asked uh, for the orthopedic surgeon and said, I have a family coming over and I don't want you to leave the hospital until they get there and you review their situation. So they gave us the x-rays and we went over to the hospital and I can re- vividly remember uh, sitting down and the doctor calling us up. He walks out, he puts the, clips the x-rays under the, under the light and he turns to us and he points to this, this hole in this bone and he said, your child has cancer and he needs to be put into hospital now. So I just, I was speechless. Yeah, yeah. I was just speechless. So um, that night we went up into the hospital. They had done the pathology test. They'd taken a a sample out of his leg and um, Raquel had gone home. And I was uh, in the hospital uh, bed or next to Samuel. And then I walked outside and I ran into the doctor. And the surgeon was still there. And he started, started to explain to me 
where they were going to take my son's leg off, where they were going to cut my son's leg off. And I was just, I was white. I was, I knew I was visually white. So he just said, unfortunately, we can't do anything about this. And he said, looked at me, he said, you haven't been told. I said, no, I haven't been told. So they had to bring someone in to explain what, what had happened. And I said to them, they can't do anything at the moment. I need to, I need to review the situation. So I didn't phone anyone that night. I, I stayed in, I stayed in the hospital and all I could do was pray. That was all I, all I had. Yeah. God help me. Wow. God help us, you know. And um, the following day, the culture died. And because the culture died, they couldn't review it properly. They took another culture. I asked them to go back and to review it. And they decided that they were going to get a group of um, uh, cancer experts from around the world to contribute their expertise in, and that they did. And they decided they're going to have a try to um, uh, heal, my, heal my son. Cut a long story short, we were in there for two and a half years. I spent every night in hospital beside my son. My wow. wife spent every day beside my son and we raised our children between the hospital and home. My, I moved my office up to there and after a period of time, two and a half years, I said to the doctor that we wanted to have another check. It was a... It was a um, uh, one of the major scans, it was an expensive scan. We eventually convinced them that, would, that they were to do it and they went and had the scan uh, and we were called in the following day and I knew that something had changed in the situation and they pulled up the scan on the computer. The first one they showed where the hole was, where the cancer had eaten out the bone. They pulled out the second one and they showed there was no hole in the bone. There was <laughs> nothing there. And my son was cancer free. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah, it was. And you know, the funny thing was, they, they did say if they ever could cure it, they could never restore the bone. And yeah. there, I'm sitting in front of me, that the bone was restored. So my son came home and he, unfortunately, he went from one situation to another. He was, he was, he was quite obese because of the steroids that had gone into his body. Um, so I took it on myself. Uh, to help him uh, with his fitness. And we tried him with a number of sports, but he just didn't gel with the sports. And, and you know, there was a bit of a problem there. But he, he was playing soccer at the time. I'd taken him to soccer. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't getting any real time, um, you know, just in, even in training because he wasn't really fit. So uh, just uh, before, about a week before his uh, first match, I found myself um, with a real sore foot and I decided to go into the hospital to have the, the foot checked. And the doctor there, I was a young doctor, very enthusiastic, all I wanted was some painkiller. He decided to check me. He came back and just said, you've got complete renal failure. Your kidneys have failed. Bit of a byproduct of my lifestyle, but wow. my kidneys had failed. So it was a hard pill. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I, then they had to process how that was going to be uh, checked and they diagnosed me as with a, uh, a, a kidney cancer incurable. That was the, the diagnosis. Incurable? So I urgently wanted to get out of there because I just wanted to be at my first game for 
the first game for Samuel for his soccer. He was looking forward. He'd asked whether I could get out. So basically, I, I, I begged the doctor to let me out. So the doctor let me out. So I went home in the afternoon and we're going to go to see Sam's first game of soccer. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I said to my wife, I think if I don't go to a hospital now, I don't think I'm ever going to see another game of soccer for Samuel. So drove myself to the hospital. My wife came in after and I had a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so now I've got renal failure. I've got a heart attack. An incurable uh, cancer. I'm back in hospital. Yeah, I'm back in hospital. Um, yeah, suddenly uh, my good life was, wasn't looking too, too good at this particular stage. So it, I, it was another very hard time for me and for the family to go through. So we decided at that particular stage um, that I was going to uh, review the options in life and, and see what I needed to do. And I went to my doctor and he, he said very clearly, he said, Martin, you, you've got two choices, change your lifestyle or die. <laughs> so I kind of figured that I better change my lifestyle. So at this stage, um, I was uh, over 30 kilograms heavier than I am now. Mm, wow. And uh, I remember thinking of all the options and the only option that came back to me was to go back to swimming. So I, I went down to the pool and I took Samuel down there and Samuel couldn't swim, but he liked it. I liked it, but I couldn't swim. I was really struggling. It was hard. Yeah, it was yeah. hard getting back into the water. Sure. It was really, really hard because you knew what you could do before, but unfortunately, a lifetime of you know, 20 years of abuse, you can't go back and do the same thing again. So yeah. we decided that we would do it and we found ourselves in there and enjoying it and seeing the, the fruits of our labour and with some adjustments in our diet, we both started to lose weight, we both, both started to get fit and we ended up doing around 20 kilometres a week with just myself. Wow. So that was, a, that was quite a big step. We then competed in a, in a, a swim around Bustleton Jetty and after I reviewed the results, I found that there was a guy older than me had come in third. <laughs> and I thought, that's really odd. So I contacted him and I ended up taking Samuel with him. And at this stage, we'd made a decision that we'd like to have a crack at swimming rottenness together, across together. So we went to see him to see what was, what, how that would all work out. And he, he just... Um, Samuel said, oh, we want to do Rottnest solo. And I thought, no, 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 we want, we want to do a duo. <laughs> uh, so he, he, was, he was, really, uh, it was really good and he, he helped us. And we went and did another event and across uh, Albany Harbour, which is about a 4K event. And the, the guy there who was the, the he, he'd also won a Rottnest event. And uh, I, I asked him, he had all these cameras on him and people wanted to talk to him. I said, look, my son's here. Just wondered whether you could give him some encouragement. And he talked to him before the event. And when my son came out of the water, he was there. And he walked down and he congratulated my son. And it was a game changer. And, you know, it, never underestimate what a bit of encouragement could do because that changed my son's complete understanding of what he was capable of because this guy just came down and said, you can go on and do great things. So we ended up in the water. Uh, we ended up with a, a with a coach here, Shelley Taylor Smith, and we and we we went through the process of training for Rottnest, and and Samuel became a, a bit of a poster boy from cancer to to attempting to swim Rottnest and swimming against his dad, and we swam the first year of Rottnest, and yes, he beat me, <laughs> we made it across, and it was it was just a phenomenal thing, and 
Uh, three weeks later, we're in the pool training and our coach gave, coach gave us an opportunity, which was a, a rare opportunity to have a go at swimming the English Channel. And within wow. four months, we continued to train and we became the first father and son to swim the English Channel together. That's incredible. Now, just so, give us a little bit of uh, a picture of what is the English Channel swim, just so that some of us don't think it's just like swimming across the Swan River. Well, it's called the Everest of swimming and for a reason. <laughs> it's got strong currents. It's got um, a very large jellyfish. Uh, it's, the, it's the busiest shipping channel in the world and it's freezing cold. So wow. you've got to swim at 15 to 16 degrees. And although the straight line is about 32 k's, you cannot do 32 k's because the rips will take you up. So we ended up doing just over 40 k's, but some people do a lot more than that. Wow. So we left at midnight. So you swim in the cold. dark. You swim in the dark. Wow. And uh, 12 hours and 52 minutes later, we landed on French soil. That's incredible. Absolutely and I can say, And I can say it was one of the most emotional days of my life to hug my son in the water after touching French soil and realise that when you put your heart to something, and you commit to something and you believe you can do it, you can actually achieve these things. That is and, absolutely you know, I, I, I'm so appreciative of the people that helped me along the way. Mm. And I realised at that point that you can change the destination that your life mm. is going. Yeah. That was a real changing point for me. It was a place in my life where I realised that having done that, where very few people had ever done it, every, every few people, we were the first people that season to actually make it across. Everyone else had failed up to then. I just realised that with the right mindset, with the right understanding, the right belief and the right, the right effort, you can, you can achieve things in life. That's so good. I love your story and I love how we started this conversation with you drowning the neighbour's <laughs> yeah. pond next door and uh, here we are with the culmination at a real peak point of being the first father and son duo to be in the Guinness Book of World Records uh, to swim the English Channel. Through it all, there's been ups and downs, ups and downs. And I think a, a big misconception is that we, we don't expect the, the downs in life. We're constantly wanting things to improve and become better and better. And when we make a positive choice, there's almost an internal expectation that I applied myself positively. So now everything needs to go right for me, whether it's... Um, you know, you change your diet and straight away you want to see the results or you, um, you know, you've now found the love of your life and you expect that everything's going to go great now with family and children or business or whatever it is. We believe that everything's going to go great. But what we found and what I've been hearing in your story is there are many lows and they can be separated with years between them. But there are lows. And so perseverance is something that is not just a, a once-off, it's a constant and you've got to keep on applying that characteristic to your life. Can you tell me, as we just close this amazing story of yours, share one thing that kept on driving you through the lowest of low points? I think that if you wake every morning with a clear understanding that this day can make a change for your future. It's like swimming the English Channel is one stroke at a time. And I believe I wake every morning with the belief that there's an opportunity to affect my future in this day. Don't waste a day. 
don't waste one day to think again about moving forward. Take a chance and fail is better than not, make, not taking a chance at all. I don't think there's any situation in your life that will be wasted. If you're going through a hard time now, somewhere along the line, your decision to go and change that, to change your circumstances, will be, you'll be able to look back and say, that caused me to dig deeper. Mm. Allow your circumstance to make you dig deeper to find an answer for your way out. Yeah, well. You, you, must, you, you must allow yourself that is not a failing in, in your own life. It's just part of life. Sometimes things happen to you that just are uh, uh, beyond you. Martin, you're an inspiration and uh, you're a man of perseverance. You're a person who's just never given up and uh, you're remarkable. It's, uh, it's an honor to know you and it's an honor to get your story um, out to a very wide reach. And so I'm really excited for people to hear this. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me today on the Stronger Podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Jay. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much.